the United Methodist Podcast, episode number 10, with Dr. Marsha McPhee, author of Think Like a Filmmaker, Sensory-Rich Worship Designs for Unforgettable Messages. It says, if your doing doesn't dance with your saying, you haven't chosen life. I mean, and I can identify that very moment. I can picture the where I was when I read it. That very moment was that call to ministry. And I knew at that moment my life would change. And I knew that everything that I knew about the arts would somehow be part of that ministry. Hi, I'm Talbot Davis, pastor of Good Shepherd United Methodist in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the author of the Abingdon book, Saul. And you are connected to the United Methodist podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, doing all the good we can. Welcome to the United Methodist podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that a strong connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to achieving the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The United Methodist Podcast will help you and your church connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from successful pastors and leaders making a difference in the United Methodist Church. And now, here's Brad. Hello again, good people, and welcome to the United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. That's me, and welcome to the podcast. I'm a local church pastor who loves the Lord and loves to communicate good news about our United Methodist Church, especially when it comes to strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church to tell the good news story of how we can make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's our mission. And our mission is to tell stories. And our guest today is a master storyteller. She is a master and is excited about creative ways to do worship. Our guest today is Dr. Marsha McPhee, and she is the author of the new book, which is released in June of 2016. It's called, it's titled, Think Like a Filmmaker, Sensory Rich Worship Designs for Unforgettable Messages. And she's also the, has the Worship Design Studios, which is a website and resources that helps people design incredible worship experiences. I had the opportunity to hear Dr. McPhee speak at a conference a few years ago and was completely enlightened and delighted and I've implemented some of her some of her approaches to creative worship in my own church setting and uh, she's just a cool person lots of great things going on with her and you're going to learn a lot today in our conversation she has a great story to tell about how she started off by being encouraged in her a very small church in Missouri encourages a small girl to use her dance and to use her mime and to use music and to all to integrate it into worship even at a young age and how her love of the arts her love of dance led her eventually to enter the profession of entertainment as be part of a professional dance and theater group from New York City traveled the world and went to all kinds of places but eventually had a calling that there was something more in her life and that if she was going to use her dance and to use her artistic endeavors to do something 
in the area of ministry and integrate the arts into ministry. And that would be a part of it. So her life is, is all about the intersection of the faith narrative and artistic endeavor. And that's led her to design worship design studios, write several books about worship, lead workshops and retreats and, and speaking engagements, all about how she can help the local church design, not necessarily plan worship, design creative worship that uh, so that people in local churches can see themselves as both theologians and artists. And she has has uh, many years of experience doing this and helps churches with a step-by-step creative process. And that's where this book comes into play. It is about helping use, learn from uh, filmmakers and artists in the filmmaking industry to, and apply it to the local church and to, to come up with something she likes to call um um good um, uh, worship, which for her um, um means meaningful and memorable. And I like that. I love that. And to engage in sensory rich worship. We'll get into our conversation with uh, Marsha McPhee in just a, just a moment. I did want you to know that today's podcast of the United Methodist Podcast is brought to you by the book Meet the Good People by Reverend Dr. Uh, Roger Ross from Springfield, Illinois. He's got a great book. It's a great resource for uh, teaching and preaching about how you can apply faith into your local community. And if you go to our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com, we've got a free gift for you, which is a, which is a, uh, an excerpt from the book, or really a, 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 a briefing of the book of several pages. It's called Seven of John Wesley's Practices Can Change Hearts. It's free to you if you go to our website, the United Methodist, uh, pod, uh, United Methodist Podcast.com. We also want you to know that this podcast supports missions, and the particular mission that we support is called Mission Guatemala. It's led by a great friend of mine, Reverend Tom Heaton, and you can go to Mission Guatemala. Guatemala.com and learn all about the great mission that takes place in this mission of the United Methodist Church to the rural area, just poverty-stricken area in rural Guatemala with uh, feeding ministries and medical and dental services and education and all kinds of things that you can be a part of in your local church. I commend it to you. Right now, though, our, our, our focus for today of this podcast is creative worship, transformative worship that's transformed by the arts. How we can take Bible study and preaching and teaching and worship, and there's no excuse to be boring. There's no excuse to not tell the greatest stories ever told with enthusiasm and creativity. And Marsha McPhee, she's so excited about this, and she helps us to do just that. It takes this kind of novel approach in her new book called Think Like a Filmmaker, and because what she believes is what we do in worship matters outside of the walls of the church, and that how what we uh, what we how we can embody what we proclaim can impact that. So some great things here in our conversation. You're going to love what she's got to say. So that's enough for me. Let's get into our conversation with Dr. Marcia McPhee right now. You know, a little town. And, you know, we, we got pastors right out of seminary. 
And in some ways, that was really wonderful because they were willing to to really experiment and uh, bring their whole selves to worship. And you know, they didn't they they weren't yet jaded and and hadn't been uh, smacked down yet by a congregation that said you can't do that. So you know, they were just open and instilled in me a love of finding ways to bring that story alive. So, uh, one in a, pastor in a way, was a way that's one of the advantages to have those fresh out of seminary uh, pastors. Absolutely. Wasn't it? In fact, you know, I I really tell folks that that little church in Adrian, Missouri, you know, sometimes people think, oh, we're a small church. We can't do anything creative. You know what? That is I know that not to be true because that's where I came from. And that little church let me sing. They let me dance. They let me do mime. We even lip synced Godspell to the Godspell record (laughs) and we took it on tour. So, you know, (laughs) oh, my goodness, that brings back some memories for me. The Godspell. Yeah. Yeah. And what you were referring to at 12 years old, you know, I, I wanted to, I'd been taking dance lessons since I was five. I wanted to use my dance in my faith and, and to express my faith. So I, I know anybody else who had danced in church, you know, that just, nobody had ever heard of that in Adrian, Missouri, but I decided I wanted to dance. I put my little tape recorder on the front row on the front pew and played some music. I had somebody reading the Isaiah passage about being lifted as wings on eagles and I danced. And so that was my sort of my earliest memory of creating something where I was using multiple mediums. We had music, we had dance, we had words. And I've been doing it ever since. So as I look back, I think, wow, God planted a seed in me that long ago. But, you know, I went into professional theater and dance, and I had a great career in my 20s. was with professional companies out of New York City. I traveled the world. For five years of that, I was with the Dave Brubeck Jazz Quartet doing a dance and jazz collaboration. And we went all over the place. And it was really such a blessing in many ways. But at the height of that career, you know, I I felt like, you know, is there something more? Is there something more meaningful? And, and what has more purpose for this art that I'm doing? Um, I was really just searching for a little bit more depth. Um, I had traveled and, you know, played in the big, big uh, theaters of the world. And I thought, what's the next step? And I was reading a book by Cecil Williams, of Glide, United Methodist Church in San Francisco, and I read a line in that book that says, if your doing doesn't dance with your saying, you haven't chosen life. What a great quote. And right then and there, right? I mean, and I can identify that very moment. I can picture the where I was when I read it. That very moment was that call to ministry. And I knew at that moment my life would change, and I knew that everything that I knew about the arts would somehow be part of that ministry. And so I set out from that moment to uh, pull away from the professional dance and theater career that I had been doing and go to seminary. Uh, And that was a complete seismic sort of shift in purpose in my life, even though the tools were the same, you know, the artistic tools were the same, but now I had a theological vocabulary and I realized that God had a call on my life uh, that would combine these things together. It sounds like also your purpose in that shifted a little bit. Your purpose shifted from some, oh, self-gratification or arts for to entertainment purposes to a, a little deeper purpose for you. 
Yeah, in, in some ways. And, you know, I'm a big fan of the arts in whatever form. And I think that it brings any of the arts can bring a depth to folks who encounter it. Uh, but I specifically felt called to the the faith narrative for that to intersect my art with that very narrative and have that be sort of the fodder for what I was creating. So, yeah, in that way, it was a shift to a different kind of purpose for for my artistic endeavors. And that has led you now to the company that you that you have, which is um, Worship Designs. Uh, or uh, am I not? I may not be saying that correctly. It's called, it, yeah, it's it's actually called Worship Design Studio. Worship Design Studio. Yeah. So say a little bit about that. I what you do there. Yeah, I, I specifically named it Worship Design Studio because I really want everyone who has anything to do with creating worship to see themselves as an artist and to call worship design rather than worship planning. That's very intentional on my part. Worship design because design, you know, really evokes, you know, this is an artistic endeavor. It's a theological and artistic endeavor. And, and studio really is um, when you go to my webpage, worship design studio.com you'll see that there's an actual studio there which is a sanctuary of a church um usually people think that i get to actually work in that space all the time i wish it's a gorgeous space it looks out over the oakland hills just fantastic views uh but actually that's a church where i just went and uh took photos of it uh made it look like if if i could actually own a sanctuary that was my worship design studio this is what it would look like so i encourage your listeners to go there and take a look at it it's a 360 panoramic and uh, i i really wanted people to see themselves as both theologians and artists. So that's why Worship Design Studio. And and basically, you know, I had I've been doing this for 25 years, this teaching. It's been that long since I've been to seminary and started doing workshops. And I, I really wanted to meet people where they were whenever they could be there. So what that meant is rather than simply doing live workshops and traveling all the time. I wanted to have a virtual place where people could come and learn. So there's articles and webinars and videos, and there's now nine years worth of worship series ideas that people are able to utilize. And I've got about yeah, about 650 churches that are uh, active members there, and people come and go, and they come and they learn, and, uh, and then they take those skills with them and uh, train their worship team. I'm actually looking at your website even as we speak, and I am very impressed mm-hmm. by the by the vibe and the feel of that and um what you're what i'm what i'm learning from that and from you is that everything you do has to do with creative ways of using and integrating the arts with with theology it goes even to the, right. to the name of a design studio which invokes creativity over a design uh you know team or whatever which invokes more of a uh, more of a uh administrative type of task and that's not what, uh-huh, what you're right. teaching us here is not a, to do worship a worship planning team is not an administrative task it is a creative uh end endeavor and that's uh Right. I, I think Absolutely. It's and, and certainly there's there's a lot of administrative tasks uh, uh, related to it because this, you know, you, you come up with the creative ideas, then you have to make them happen. Uh, and that's really what what my my website and my new book is is helping folks do is to see that there's there's both the creative brainstorming part of it, coming up with the ideas. And then there's the, you know, the implementing and you have to have uh, both the creativity and the task sort of managing in 
order to make all of that happen. Well, you got to get it done, don't you? you to get it done, right, you, you right. got to you got to make it happen with all the administrative stuff and dealing with the various people and resource allocation, all the other things that you've got to do. But let's let's get into so, that. Let's get into your new book here, which is released in June mm-hmm. of 2016. Very interesting uh, title to me. It is at least, especially mm-hmm. for those of us in the church world, as it were. The title is "Think Like mm-hmm. a Filmmaker." So on the service, it you might think it is geared towards people in the entertainment industry. It's something along this line. Mm-hmm. But then you quickly go into your subheading, which has to do with uh, how you integrate that into worship experience. It's century rich worship design for unforgettable messages. I think that's one issue that a lot right. of clergy have and preachers have to do with how do you make your messages memorable and how do your worship right. teams help to do that. Tell us a little, little bit about your book. What motivated you? to write this book. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, about eight years ago, I asked myself a question, and that question was, who are some of the most amazing and provocative and effective storytellers of our day? And my answer to myself was filmmakers. Okay. Uh, I think there are some filmmakers out there who are making very important films that have very important messages, and they are using visuals and words and drama and uh, media and all of these things that we use in worship um, in order to tell a story. And so I thought, what if I started studying the filmmaking techniques and talked to filmmakers in, in various roles, so directors and art directors and cinematographers and music composers and, and those folks, and see if I could find out <coughs> something something about their filmmaking techniques that could help me teach uh, how to bring the greatest story ever told alive in ways that would really be what I call good, which is meaningful and memorable. And, you know, the... The whole point of having worship be meaningful and memorable is so that it can form us and we take that story out into the world with us and that story informs us as we live our lives. And and so, you know, it's uh, far from being about how to make worship more entertaining. It It's about how to make the story so meaningful and memorable that we're still talking about it the next day and the next week. And we're sharing that with others. And it's forming our lives and forming our actions out into the world. So that's what I did. I started studying filmmaking techniques and filmmakers, talked to them. And I began to use this (coughs) bit by bit in my teaching. And what I found is that I could watch a four-minute clip of a film with a group of pastors and musicians and worship team members, and we could instantly find lessons to help us make our messages in worship more meaningful and memorable. And so I really felt like this was a worthwhile endeavor because, you know, many, many people have written about worship as theater and sort of tried to use that analogy to help us understand worship in a more artistic way. But the truth is, is that not everybody goes to live theater, uh, whether they just didn't grow up with that or they don't have the funds to do so regularly. Um, but everybody watches movies 
So it felt like a really accessible metaphor to help people sort of analyze how are filmmakers telling the story and how can we apply that to what we do in worship. So that was the genesis of thinking like a filmmaker. And I've been talking for a long time about sensory rich worship. And so it really uh, began to come together in that way. So were you able to do that then? Were you able to talk to some filmmakers and uh, and to learn some of the uh, strategies that in your studies that you found applicable to to worship i did it's fascinating and every chapter has those lessons that i learned and some of those conversations and research that i had done and uh you know for instance let's just take let's take music as an example you know in the book i talk not only about the whole process creative process for the whole team uh and and sort of we learn lessons from filmmaking teams about how they collaborate uh, and how the decisions of one artist makes a difference for another artist. But I also then break it down into the five worship art forms that I use in the worship design studio. So we're talking uh, visual arts, verbal arts, musical arts, media arts, and dramatic arts. So let's just use music as an example. You know, when you watch a movie, you may or may not be aware of the soundtrack that's happening in any one moment because the purpose for music as it's used in movies is to help create the emotional container in which we are experiencing the dialogue or we're experiencing what we see. So one of the lessons that I have learned from filmmakers is that rather than just seeing musicians as those who fill in the slots for hymns and anthems and preludes and postludes and special music and all, you know, and that's all important. But music can also help us hear, let's say, a psalm better. Let's say that we're going to have a psalm reading. And the psalms are poetry, right? So let's say we're doing Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I stand. And if we have a little what we call a, a sound bed or a soundscape underneath that of a pianist playing, perhaps we just sang, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Afresh on Me. And what if they, then the pianist takes that up and octave and slows it down and that creates a sound bed under which we hear the speaker do the psalm on top of it it completely changes our attention to that reader um, because what we have and you know i I love science so um, all throughout the book i also refer to what people who have studied the science of memory and the science of cognition know and one of the things that they've discovered is that music helps our brains focus better So we literally are paying more attention to the words when we have music lightly underscoring it. There's a physiological aspect to that as well, I understand. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm, you know, I my my background in education, my bachelor's um, before I went to seminary, my bachelor's was in dance, but it was dance education. We did a lot of study of the body anatomy and physiology, and I carried that knowledge with me through my master's and my Ph.D. um, And I'm really interested in the science of what's happening physiologically in our bodies when we are in worship. And so partly, you know, understanding 
the effects of different kinds of music on us and how it helps us <laughs> enter our spiritual journey. Um, you know, and that when you begin to see, especially that we're not just talking about entertainment, we're talking about spiritual formation here. Mm. Uh, and that's the important thing, because I believe that ritual forms and shapes us. And I use ritual in a really good sense, not like in the pejorative sense where, you know, sometimes we, we, we talk the same thing over down and over about, again or whatever. Yeah, yeah, same thing over and over again. Actually, when I use the word ritual, I, I'm using it in its most, you know, yummiest form, <laughs> to use an adjective. Right. And that is when it's deep, meaningful to us. Um, but, but, you know, ritual, it does form and shape us. The question that I have, however, is to what are we being formed? So this becomes a big part of the book and, and any time that I teach, and that is congregational participation. Hmm. Because when we actively participate in worship, we are being formed as active disciples rather than passive people who believe that the professionals are there to do everything for us, right? If we believe that about worship, we're going to also believe that about our discipleship out in the world. Oh, that's, you know, I go to church on Sunday. I don't have to do anything else, right? That's kind of a passive Christianity. And so if we're going to be about forming disciples uh, in order to transform lives, we really have to understand that our worship forms us. And if are not active participants in our worship, we're not understanding the very incarnational nature of this faith. So, Marcia, what I'm hearing you say is it's not only integration of worship and the arts and music and so on, but it's the integration of worship into culture and society. How do we make that work beyond our worship experience and into our world? Right. I mean, it's it's about, you know, coming to the table, let's say, in worship, if that experience becomes so rich in our doing of it in worship, we are more likely to connect that to the other tables around which we gather in the rest of our lives, whether that's the family table around dinner or whether that's the the food bank that we work at during the week um, or the place where we help to serve meals to those who have no homes uh, or don't have a meal for that day. Or for that matter, uh, the, know, or the, for that matter the cubicle at the workspace or the right. PTA meeting right. or whatever it would be. Yeah. Cool. Right. So I, how are we understanding our discipleship and how are we learning in our worship and getting those messages embedded in our bodies? And if we simply go through the motions, if we... You know, it's amazing to me <laughs> how we can take the faith narrative, which is, I mean, actually, you know, I ask people, have you read the Bible lately? I mean, that's pretty dramatic stuff. And yet oh my goodness, we yes. can we can take that and make it absolutely boring on a Sunday morning. I mean, that takes real talent, right? <laughs> <laughs> but many of us are pretty darn good at it. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, the more we bring the story t to life and the more it's embedded in us, and that takes using all of the senses. Now, using the, you know, using all of the arts is not just so that we can do the latest, grooviest thing. It's because we all learn learn and communicate differently. In the book, in my teaching, in the worship design studio, I use several theories from cognitive science to, to help us understand why it is that we need not only words, but we need visuals to help tell the story. Because some people are going to get the story through those visuals first. 
because their brains are tuned in in that way. We need music to help tell the story. And, and in fact, we need music to tell the same story that the preacher is telling, right? right so that's right. the collaboration piece because some people are going to get that message through the music and not necessarily through the sermon. I, you know, pastors, preachers, I'm sorry to tell you, not everybody is coming for your sermon. Some people are more tuned into the now, music. Now you're that's starting, now you're starting to get the message. Now. Okay. <laughs> I'm yeah. meddling now. <laughs> yeah, you are now. But hey, let me ask you this. Let, let me push back on you just a little bit here, Marcia. Okay. Well, you say, uh, you know, the integration of, of worship and, and, and the arts. And, and you, we talk about filmmaker, thinking like a filmmaker. It's yeah. true that many clergy, myself included, have used, have used film clips for many years, uh-huh. for many years now. And, it, and right. for many of us, that's been kind of our integration of filmmaking into, mm-hmm. into worship. Mm-hmm. But my goodness, when you talk about me or my, a, a pastor thinking like a filmmaker, that sounds like an awful lot of work. It sounds like, <laughs> Uh, that's just outside of my skill set. It sounds mm-hmm. like it's something that someone else could do better than me. And I've just got a little church of 75 people and right. my worship team is all volunteers. And some of them are yeah. not of an age uh, that was uh, uh, up to speed on, you know, right. anything, anything of contemporary nature. How, how, what do you yeah. sp- What do you say to that uh, church, that situation mm-hmm. that has some challenges, not only resource wise, but thinking wise about, being yeah. using these things that you're talking about. Talk to us a little bit about that. You bet. Well, that's why I wrote the book. Okay. <laughs> so that so that churches that like you're describing, I mean, that is exactly the church I grew up in. Seventy five people on a Sunday morning. That's exactly the church that I continue to worship in. Most of my life, I've been a member of very small churches. So when you think like a filmmaker, it's not about having all the bells and whistles or even having uh, a very large budget at all. It's about thinking. Uh, in, in a way of layering the different medium that we have our, at our disposal. So this term layering is, let's just imagine if we go to a movie, it would be ridiculous if we went to a movie and we heard some, somebody talking for a while, and then we sat and we looked at some imagery, and then we sat and we just heard some music without anything being on the screen. I mean, we think that's a really weird movie, right? Mm-hmm. So... It's taking those techniques of layering the art form. So let's think about a small church and let's let's think that we are using a series called um, uh, Letting Go. All right. Letting go of the things we don't need. That's not a great title, but let's just that's the that's really the theme. We'll go with it. Okay, we'll go with it now. Uh, let's say that somebody heard about in the worship design studio um, about some really cool dissolving paper that you can get at the magic store and you can get it online and it costs like five bucks for for a few sheets. That's all you need. And you cut it up in tiny in small little pieces and you invite people during prayer time after your sermon where you've talked about the need to let go of those things that burden you that keep you down that keep you from really being full of life and then at the end of your sermon you invite people to take one of those little pieces of paper that they got in their bulletin when they came in and write a word or a phrase on there that represents what they feel like they need to let go of and then let's imagine that the pianist plays something that they know how to play um, that has to do with water. Okay, so it might be a hymn from the hymnal about water, or it might be like Spirit of the Living God or something, you know, that they're comfortable playing. And they just play that 
instrumentally, and maybe people sing with it or they don't, as people come up and simply put that little piece of paper in a bowl of water and stir it around and watch it dissolve. Hmm. Now, that could be what I call a thread item in the book I describe when you're designing worship. You don't want to burn yourself out. So you're going to do a series and you're going to repeat some things every week because what we know about memory is that repetition really helps us. And so the question each week at the end of the sermon might be a little bit different. You might write something different on that little piece of dissolving paper, but the ritual action might be the same each week. And so you get this repetition with a little bit of variance because we know that also helps people go deeper and deeper and deeper. And that cost you about five bucks to do. Okay. Right? But it became so memorable and meaningful because, number one, it was something that, Something that we did, we, it was an action that we did that sticks with us. And what we know about the science of memory as well is that when we add an action to a concept, so when we don't just hear about it preached, but then we do something in response, we will remember what they say is about 85% more retention when you add an action to a concept. Yeah, that's so just part, that's just part of some uh, teaching. And, yeah, so we layered music and action and words, and it costs us five bucks, and everybody can learn to do that. Well, in your book, you say that you have these step-by-step helps for worship planning. Is that right. what we're talking about, this type of thing? Yep. Okay. Absolutely. That, that, so I think that's some of the practical tools. That's some of the practical tools that clergy and worship uh, planning groups are looking for. Some step by step things right. that can help cut down the learning curve of a lot of this. That exactly. uh, the creativity is one thing, but having a place to start is others. There's certain of us, certain folks who are, you know, really, you know, really right brain oriented, such as yourself, I'm sure, and mm-hmm. very creative tars, uh, types of folks, arts people, and others that take. Mm-hmm. So a while for that to get motivated or get the juices exactly. flowing. And maybe this can be a, a helpful resource for that type of thing. That's right. Happening. And, you know, that's the very reason why I started the Worship Design Studio, because I wanted to jumpstart folks in the creative process. And you're because you're absolutely right. There are some people this comes absolutely naturally, you know, thinking of new ideas. Um but some folks need to have some jump starts, some ideas. And, and so the book will gives tons of examples. Plus, uh, all through the book, I have these sidebars that says, go to thinklikeafilmmaker.com, which is the website for the book. And there you can actually see videos of what I'm talking about or download another um, you know, planning help. So it's not just a book. It's actually a whole bunch of resources, which is very cool. And then, you know, if you want to take it a step further and become part of the worship design studio, like I said, I have nine years worth of series based on the liturgical year. Um, and what that does is it just gives a ton of ideas to people who feel like they don't have time or they don't, it's not part of their nature to come up with ideas. Lots of resources available to folks. And we'll, we'll put the details of that on our show notes page as well. Nice. But, but I did want to ask you about um, this whole thing about life transformation that can mm. that, that 
really should be an ultimate purpose of worship, to be that compelling worship that compels people to change their lives, to make a change, yeah. and then also be compelled enough to share that with their with their world, their people they work with, mm-hmm. go to school with, and, or so on. And we certainly say in our in our particular denomination, the United Methodist uh, Church, that uh, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ to transform the world. And I key on that mm-hmm. word transform, and I think transformation takes place individually and in groups and worship experiences. How do you see what you're working on is a conduit for uh, for transformation, either individual lives or in churches or, mm-hmm. or beyond? Yeah. Well, I alluded to it earlier when I said that ritual forms and shapes us. And as we become active participants in our rituals, in our worship, we become active disciples. We see our place in in the church, and we see our discipleship growing. Um, the deeper our spiritual journey in worship, the deeper our spiritual journey outside of worship. You know, I happen to think that what we do in worship matters for who we are becoming outside the walls. Um, that's why my PhD is in worship and ethics. Sometimes people say, "What? Why? Yeah. Why do? How do those two go together?" But I I really do believe that what we do in worship matters for who we are becoming, and. And so it's the spiritual formation that then um, creates the kind of persons who in the world carry out those deeply held values, um, you know, that that, you know, we hear God in worship. We hear God say, you know, this is the kind of love that I extend towards you. I want this for the whole world. Be my hands and feet in the world. Go and extend what you have experienced here in worship. Go and extend that out into the world. And then we become the carriers of that love into the world. uh, And that manifests itself in many, many ways. And transformation means simply to change it, it, to change form, you know, to, to move somewhere. And uh, as we move our world, hopefully toward a more just world, a more safe world for all people, a more loving world for all people, if we can embody that in worship, then we can embody that in the world. The, the most important question that I ask myself when I'm designing worship is, how can we embody that which we proclaim? Mm, how do we great. not just talk about love and hope and reconciliation, but how do we try that on for size here in our worship so that we know how to do that in the world as well? And, and I think there's a direct correlation. Yeah. Can you give us an example of maybe how some of what you're teaching has really impacted say a, a local church setting where there was mm-hmm. you know some i don't know i'll just say just it was uh, boring or static and some cool some <laughs> yeah. cool some cool things happened and based on some of the things you've taught yeah you know i i just love it when people come up to me at conferences or workshops and they say we're a member of the worship design studio and let me tell you what's happened at my church you know that's just so cool and people email me i'll, I'll tell you one example uh i was uh, leading uh, worship at a conference and someone came up to me and said, you know, a year ago, we had moved out of our sanctuary down into our basement because we had dwindled to such a small number of people coming to worship and being in our sanctuary just felt, you know, I mean, we were, it just felt really weird because we're such a small group of people. So we, we moved into our basement and she said, I subscribed to the worship design studio 
and we began to do series and use some of your you know examples of of ideas of making worship more rich more sensory rich more meaningful more active um and and we actually had people begin to help me plan worship because they got excited about what we were doing she said do you know that today or just this the last uh, the last sunday before she'd come to this conference we had to move back into a sanctuary because we outgrew our basement you know, that's a that's a move out of the basement is a yay God story, isn't it? How about that? right? <laughs> so amazing, and she just you know she was so um, so grateful, and I was grateful to hear the story as well because sure. here was a here was a little church that needed some help and needed people to get excited again about worship and and it's not just about like like i said it's not about the bells and whistles it's not about getting excited because we just got you know a new budget for you know a new music director or, or a bunch of new music or or a bunch of you know screens and projectors and things it's not about that at all it's about exciting people for the spiritual journey and doing some very simple things that can help reinvigorate um, people for their spiritual formation. And when the congregation is re-energized, the whole church is re-energized, not just for their worship, but for their mission. Yeah, innovation means nothing unless there's a greater purpose behind it. Other than that, you're just, you know, doing new things for the sake of doing new things. And, right, yeah. right. Well, one more thing, one exactly. more question, Marcia. Just what's something okay. about you or about something fun that you like to do or something, interest or hobby or something about you that uh, that might be something folks might, might like to know about you? <laughs> Okay. Well, I will tell you that right now I am sitting um, behind the the uh, old historic jail at in, in Truckee, California, where I live. I live in Truckee, which is up near Lake Tahoe, and Truckee is an old west town. All the buildings are still from the 1800s, and I I needed to find I was in town today and needed to find a quiet place <laughs> um, to talk to you. So I'm sitting behind the old jail, which is a memorial garden um, that dates back to folks who really were coming with wagons across the the mountain pass. Uh, if you've ever heard of the Donner Party, you know exactly where Truckee is. Um, but one of the one of the reasons why I live up here is because I love to ski. I'm a big skier, and um, I'm 15 minutes from the ski from several ski slopes around here. Uh, I, skiing is actually a spiritual practice for me. Uh, I feel so close to God when I am whizzing down the hill um, and in nature and feeling that motion of going, you know, just skiing down the mountain. And I actually wrote another book about it called Spiritual Adventures in the Snow, Skiing and Snowboarding as, as Renewal for Your Soul. And I got to interview all kinds of um, skiers up here from Olympic athletes who live here to um, to novices. And, you know, it's just a, it's a wonderful place to live. And uh, yeah, I love to ski. So there you go. There's my, there's my there you- hobby that people might not know about me. <laughs> well, that's... That's cool. I like to ski myself. I live in Indiana. There's not many places for us to do that here. There's one or two, but you got to drive away to get to them. So, hey, it's been a right? ple- it's been a pleasure talking to you, Marcia. How can folks be in contact with you? Where do they need to go to find out more about about your about your uh, about your new book about uh, yeah. like a filmmaker and also your other right. resources and, uh, and yeah. opportunities that you have speaking and so on. You bet. 
Thanks for asking. Well, you can find an entry point to all of all of the things that I offer at MarciaMcPhee.com. M-A-R-C-I-A-M-C-F-E-E. MarciaMcPhee.com. Uh, you can, and that that's a portal to finding out about the Worship Design Studio and membership in that. That's a portal to finding out about the book. Um, you can also go to ThinkLikeAFilmmaker.com. That's another way. Uh, but you can, you know, that's a place where you can also contact me. Uh, MarciaMcPhee.com is where you can find out about. Uh, you know, my keynote addresses, you can look at the calendar, uh, which has a lot about, uh, I hold worship planning retreats every year where worship teams and pastors come and I guide them in three days through the whole liturgical year so that they have a jump start on plans for their entire year. And uh, I've got three of those coming up. Uh, those sell out quickly. So MarciaMcPhee.com is a great place to look at my calendar and find out more about all of that. So all kinds of opportunities are to yeah. get connected Get connected with Marcia McPhee. It starts with MarciaMcPhee.com. And she's been our, it's been our pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Uh, Marcia McPhee, Dr. Marcia McPhee, the author of Think Like a Filmmaker. Many, many, many thanks to Dr. Marcia McPhee, the author of Think Like a Filmmaker, Century Rich Worship Designs for Unforgettable Messages. There's a lot of great things to, to chew on there, wasn't there? A lot of great insights, both theologically and use of the arts, and uh, about the transformative process that takes takes place individually and then as a church and how that can be applied into the, the community. Did you get what she said about worship as a spiritual practice that can be help transform our lives and the lives of others? And really, she gives us some resources that helps you and your local church to jumpstart the creative process, give some examples and some things that we can do. And it's action-oriented, isn't it? It's taking action in our local church and getting people involved with worship and learning about the various ways that people experience uh, a living God and how we can apply that in our lives and our churches and, and the power of ritual, the power of, power of, of spiritual formation. And I hope that you also picked up on all the physiological cues and the effects of on our bodies and our senses that all these things have when we are in worship and how uh, all these things connect together. Some good stuff there, and I hope that you caught onto that, and we'll certainly put a lot of details about this in our show notes. Well, we do commend uh, that uh, Dr. Marsha McPhee's work to you, and we do want to share with you again that this podcast has been brought to you by the, the book Meet the Good People by Dr. Roger Ross. That's a great resource for a fall uh, small group series or perhaps a preaching series. I commend it to you and how our podcast is supportive of Mission. We have our own mission project that we really support, Mission Guatemala. Go to missionguatemala.com to learn more, more about it. Some great opportunities, by the way, to take your mission teams from your local church on mission trips down there. We do want to share with you that the mission of the the United Methodist Podcast is strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church for the purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And we like to team up with people a lot like you and your church where we can tell great stories about the church. So if you've got a great story for us, connect up with us through our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com. You can also connect up with us at Facebook, which is facebook.com uh, slash United Methodist Podcast. You can check up on our page there. That's where we all, we post our episodes on the Facebook page, as well as at iTunes. And that's really what we want to encourage you to do. 
find our podcast, United Methodist Podcast, on iTunes. And there, if you can, please subscribe to the podcast and rate with a five-star rating, if you will. We would love to see you do that if you think we're worthy. And review. That's just a line or two. And when you do that, it helps other people find us, and we, we appreciate it. So that's what we have for today on the United Methodist Podcast. We invite you to tune in again next time when we'll have a great guest who tells the story of faith and formation and transformation in the United Methodist Church as we all seek to follow in the steps set in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and of our founder, John Wesley. And as we seek to always do all the good that we can. This is Dr. Brad Miller. Until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to the United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. We challenge you to be an active listener by subscribing and becoming a vital member of the United Methodist Podcast community. Visit us on the web at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect with other members at facebook.com slash Podcast. Until next time, continue to make disciples and transform the world.